Let's turn together this morning to the book of Colossians, chapter number 3. Colossians chapter number 3. And our subject for this morning, simply entitled, The Christian Life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 25. And our subject today is the Christian life. By way of an introduction, before we look into these verses this morning, from chapter 18 to the end of the chapter in verse 25, the Apostle Paul deals with and speaks about the duties, the responsibilities, the obligations which relate to Christians and their standing or relation as members of a family. Now in the family that's presented here before us, Paul presents us with three pairs, husbands and wives, parents and children, masters and servants. It really deals with the entirety of the Christian life. Our obligations, our responsibilities, our duties towards one another as we live the Christian life. He points out each responsibility by dealing with each party. He deals with the responsibility of wives. He deals with the responsibilities of husbands, children, parents, masters, servants. The beauty of the Word of God is all the Word of God is for our benefit and for our edification, but every single person here today falls in one of those categories. No matter what age you are, no matter where you are in life, we're in one of those categories. So it is the Christian life. You'll notice that Paul, as he is his manner, is very direct, very concise, very clear. Uh, there is nothing hidden in this text. Uh, there is no subliminal messages. Uh, Paul was very direct on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. What he means is what he means, and what he says is what he says. And so we see a snapshot of the Christian life. Verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. As it is fit in the Lord, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For ye serve the Lord Christ, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Sometimes you can start at the ending before you begin at the beginning. You'll notice that Paul very clearly declares to know these things and to do wrong, you will receive for the wrong in which you did. And that God is not a respecter of persons. In other words, if you are the wife, you are the husband, you are the child, you are the parent, you are the master, you are the servant, there is no respect to the person as to whether or not will they receive the reward or will they receive the wrong? So we see here that he is sure to punish that individual who is 
unworthy in these manners, but also reward the one who is faithful. There are probably no two areas in the Christian life that are more debated in our Christian circles than the roles of wives and husbands. Uh, There is many that are on the very wrong side of the role of a wife. There are many who are on the very wrong side of what the role of a husband, and it has been distorted, it has been corrupted, it's been twisted, it's been perverted. And yet Paul is very clear about these things. And so the matter today that Paul puts before us and before every reader of these Holy Scriptures is not saying, here are the things I want you to debate, and I want you to figure out what you agree with and what you disagree with. He simply gives the word. Now, if we truly believe the word is the inspired word of God, that really settles the matter, and it doesn't leave us with these petty arguments we'll make about what we think this means. It's never intended to be that way. It's very, very direct and very simple. And if we actually have the right heart about us this morning, we will see the beauty of these relationships, not the burden and the bonds that we think these create. None of these relationships are burdensome. Neither, none of them are bonding. These don't put you in chains. These are, lib- these are liberty. This is what God wants you to understand and wants you to see the blessing of these things. Yet man is twisting these things and turned these things into something that's debatable or something to be a burden. They're not burdensome. So as we see this, we see very clearly that the Christian home is kind of on the horizon first here. Although I would suggest to you that even the servants and the masters in a sense, also deals with the entirety of our Christian life and the Christian home, especially how we view these things. So we see, we'll go right in row here, we'll go right down the line and look at these verses, and we will take them for what they are, right? With the wisdom of what God gives us through the Spirit, not for the way it makes us feel. Every time we see phrases like this, wives submit, it garners a reaction. It garners a feeling, it garners an emotion, and it probably is this, I don't like the way that sounds. Well, here's the reality. Nobody in this room likes submission of any sort. Our hearts don't like to be in submission to anyone. We don't even like to be in submission to our God. And yet we are told here that this is the very thing in which wives are told. Wives, submit yourselves, and I want want to point this out at the very beginning, And notice very clearly, Paul says there is one individual she's to submit herself to. Her own husband. Not men in general, her own husband. So the men that walk around telling other men's wives to submit to them are wrong. Period. My wife is not in submission to another husband. Your wife is not in submission to another husband, no matter who that husband is. Your own husband. That is the responsibility. That's the relationship. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. And he doesn't just say this randomly. He says, as it is fit in the Lord, or as the Lord has directed Now, in order for any home, any Christian home, to be well-ordered, there has to be these two things. There has to be submission, 
and there has to be love. Submission by the wife, love by the husband, right? But before all that, Christ has to have the preeminence. If Christ is not preeminent in your home, even these relationships will falter and fail. That's why we are told in the book of Ephesians to submit one another unto the Lord. So guess what, husbands? You have to submit as well. You have to submit unto God. Along with your wife, unto the Lord. You and I, their husbands, are not tyrants. We are not dictators. That was never, ever the intent. And he proves this much just by the way that he words this. So first, the Bible does say the wife must be in subjection or submission to her own husband as it is fit in the Lord. That means there is a level of respecting his leadership. And yes, even though we don't like this, there is a level of obedience. Then it's been taken out of the marriage vows because it's been found to be offensive to people. Yet the Bible is very clear that that's part of it. Now, this is not obedience in all things in every manner without ever having a voice. It's obedience that is loving obedience based upon that is fit unto the Lord, respecting the Lord's order. It was never given because woman is less or less valuable. It's the order that God has placed things. So men are not superior. They are just different. Women are not inferior. They are different. That means we have different roles. So there is a level of submission that leads to a respect of the husband's judgment. It might be respecting decisions. It's following his leadership as long as he is not violating the word of God or leading you to sin. No wife is required to follow a husband who makes her sin or leads her to sin. And yet there is a great responsibility on the wife. Now, Paul writes in a similar fashion, almost word for word, in the book of Ephesians. We're going to look at these two passages today. Ephesians 5, which is probably the more familiar. Ephesians 5, beginning in... Let's begin in verse 20. Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus, says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now notice how Paul writes there, submitting yourselves one to another. So there's even a level of submission to each other. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands, there it is again, in everything. Okay, now it's very clear what Paul is stating here, right? There is this level of submission that is required. And this is not a binding submission. This is a loving submission that acknowledges that just as Christ just as the church is subject unto Christ, I mean, we talk about it all the time that we are as a church, we are subjected to Christ as our head. I am not the head of this church. And one day when we finally have plurality of elders, there will not be three heads of this church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and every member, every elder, every pastor is subject unto him. 
Every pastor is subjected to Christ. That's the kind of relationship that he's talking about here. He's not talking about something that is meant to be a harm to you, wives. It is meant to be something we all agree we're submitted to Christ and we don't have any problem with that. But suddenly when it says wives be submitted to your own husbands, it becomes offensive to our nature. Wives don't necessarily like the sound of that. But again, remember, Paul writes clearly, you're submitting yourselves one to another. So there is this key about the order. Now, you can see here how Christians are, do not have the bonds of our Christian relationship relaxed. Brethren, what's happened in our world today is when we begin to buy the world's lie that there's no such thing as submission in a marriage, we are actually lowering the relationship call that God's word calls us to. We do have a great responsibility. Wives have a great responsibility to be submissive to their own husbands. But as I'm going to show you in a minute, husbands have an even greater responsibility to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So all the wives, when they say, this is, this is just, I can't do this, understand what your husband's being called to. It's far more than what you're being called to. And every man in this room, every husband knows if he's read this and studied it, realizes, wow, what a responsibility I have as a husband. And he's reminded every day, I'm not being the husband I need to be. I'm not loving my wife as I should. Again, husbands could say the same thing. God, you've given me an impossible task to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That doesn't mean I discard it. That means I try even more to love my wife the way I should. So it doesn't relax our responsibilities. Our Christian relationship actually increases our responsibility, our obligations. So wives submit. It's submission, not just to a relentless dictator who has no restraints on him, right? But it is to be done in a loving way. As that husband leads his wife, then she is willfully and lovingly submitting to him as well. Both are bound to be obedient to their call equally. Husbands have an equal responsibility to love their wives. Wives have an equal responsibility to submit to their own husbands. Verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Now he tells a little bit differently here. We'll look at the Ephesians account in a minute. But notice he touches on something that... Paul doesn't mention in Ephesians. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against them. Husbands, love their wives and do not be bitter. You say that's very simple. Right, to be not bitter against them is to love them with faithful affection. It is to love them, as Paul just said in the book of Ephesians, with a as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? Christ loved the church unconditionally. He didn't love the church just when it was lovable. He loved the church when it was unlovable. To be bitter means to be unforgiving. To be unforgiving means to treat without kindness, means to treat severely. You can be a tyrannical husband. And he says, you are to love your wives, love his own wife. It may be in the simple things, such as treating her with kindness, respecting her, defending her, 
anyone who would attempt to discredit his wife or abuse her physically, mentally, emotionally. To love her is to defend her on every level. And this gets difficult when I say this, even against her own children. Sometimes husbands allow the children to abuse their mother. Remember, husband, that's your wife. We'll talk about the kids in a minute. No home can be built for the glory of Christ if we are not obeying what these simple commands, although difficult to carry out, are teaching us. Now, we looked at it from the standpoint of the wives in Ephesians. So go back again to Ephesians 5 and look now at the responsibility of the husbands. That begins in verse 25. Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it even as the Lord the church. We are all, we all, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So you can see here that Paul, again, in both of these passages, he is not watering down or sugarcoating what these responsibilities are. They are a, it is a very high calling as to how he should love his wife. He gives himself for her, right? And this is the goal. This is part of what's happening here. He is, he is to, to, to treat her with kindness. He is to treat her with love. Most of the times, by the time bitterness has overtaken a marriage, right? By the time bitterness sets in, right? Many times we find out that for many couples, it becomes too late for them. And I would submit to you, it should never become too late, but oftentimes bitterness, it brews and it brews and it brews. And oftentimes it will come out all at once. Imagine Christ being bitter against his church. Imagine Christ dealing unkindly with his church, dealing with his bride in that manner. That ought not be so with wives and husbands. Husbands should love their wives as he has commanded them to love him. Don't be bitter. Don't deal unkindly with them. Don't be harsh against them. Don't put severe obligations upon them. Husbands, love your wives. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children being willing to do all their parents' command 
and be at their parents' direction, right? Willfully allowing, submitting to the direction of their parents. They are also told to not only obey, they're also told in other passages to honor, to honor and obey their parents. Oftentimes you have to ask children about these things and you ask children about questions about living for the glory of God and what does it mean to live? And sometimes we think it's too, they're too young to be able to deal with those things. But the, the, the key to being and honoring God for children is to obey their parents, honor their mother and their father, respect them, speak respectfully of them, Exodus 20, verse 12, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Notice the connection between life and honoring the parents, obeying them. Back in Ephesians 6, Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Again, Paul is not giving a lot of conditions here. Obey your parents. Obey them in the Lord. Obey them as they direct. Now, you don't want to have to say it, but you do. There are Christian homes today whose children are leading the home. They're making decisions by what the children want to do. I can tell you stories of children deciding where their family's going to go to church. Imagine that for a moment. And it doesn't matter what age they are. Imagine the children making the decision for what's best for the spiritual direction of that home. Well, first of all, shame on the husband for allowing it to happen. Now, that's harsh, but that's reality. It should never happen. Children are never meant to lead, to guide the home. Parents don't obey the children. Children obey the parents. It's always been that way. That's the way it will always be. And yet we have this society now that says, well, you know what my child really needs is my child really needs a friend. No, your child needs a father and needs a mother. And I'm saying that intentionally, a father and a mother. The only recognized relationship in a home is a father and a mother. Not a father and a father, not a mother and a mother, a father and a mother. And that child needs both of them. But they are not the authority in your house. When we raise children... Right? We have, we have the reality of children are going to do foolish things. Children are going to make wrong decisions. They are not capable of even making rational, reasonable decisions on many things that parents are allowing their kids to make decisions about. Sometimes in that desire to be friends with the child... You will soon find out what being friends with your child actually did to them, and it will not be for their benefit at all. It'll be to their harm. You see, God gives these things and these orders not to make them binding upon us, but to give us the liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ. Children have a place. 
right? Now, to make sure that he understands and we understand this, he doesn't say that this is just you can be tyrannical with your kids either, right? And he tells them very carefully, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, right? Lest they be discouraged. Provoke not. In the same manner in verse 20, it is, or verse 21 rather, it is possible for a parent to abuse their parental authority. Just like a husband can abuse his head of the home authority, a wife can abuse her responsibility, parents can abuse their parental authority. Now there's two dangerous directions we can take. And again, number one, you can be too hard on them. Again, you can disagree on this. I'm giving you some practical things too. You can be too hard and unreasonable or you can be too indulgent. Both can be true. You can be too hard and unreasonable on them. Provoking, that's what he has in mind here. It is letting your authority be exercised in severity that might overstep or is done without kindness. Right? What you might actually drive out of them by your over-abuse of the authority is you may drive out a greater anger from them. Right? I've had to be reminded over my life as a parent about my own example, about how I live, how I respond to things, how I react. And then what do I do with that? Do I take that out towards my own children? Either way, right, if you, if you are too hard or unreasonable with a child, he mentions specifically what happens, lest they be discouraged. Provoking your children discourages them. That's what he's saying. On the other hand, if you overindulge them, you spoil them, right? You give them more than they need you're also having negative effects on them. You're having long-term negative effects on them. There is a mutual responsibility here. Parents are to teach. Parents are to guide. Parents are to lead. Back in, in Ephesians 6, verse 4, Paul again speaking about this relationship. Ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice the word nurture. Right? So fathers have been given this power, right? But you cannot abuse that power. Now, just like we would in a church, we would be all over a pastor that abuses his power. The same should be true in a home. A father can abuse the power that he has. Right? Govern them with this tenderness, govern them with love. Don't be continually impatient with them, don't be unreasonable with them. As one pastor recently said, just remember, they're a little piece of you. And whether we want to admit that or not, your children are pieces of you. And sometimes what you see that you don't like, and I'm talking from experience now, some of the things you don't like is you. They're, they're living out some of your characteristics. I'm telling you, there's nothing that will convict you more than when you see your child doing something the way that you did it and it wasn't in a good way. Every, every father has been there before and if you haven't, it's coming. 
And you'll wonder, where did they learn that? Why did they respond that way? Sometimes it's our own provoking. Sometimes it's our own abuse. Now, again, that doesn't mean that they do not have to obey. The child is still under an obligation to obey, but that doesn't mean the father can provoke, right? Some fathers will expect more of their children than they're ever going to get. They're never going to get that. And maybe even biblically, they're expecting more than they ought to expect. There are going to be limits to what children can do. And you do have to keep in mind where they are at what stage they are in life. Right? Sometimes we can be too severe. Sometimes we can be too lax in our judgments of these things. Now, again, there's a lot that could be said about these, and I would, I would encourage you to study these things out more than what we're even talking about today. But all these things, uh, Paul writes. Verse 22, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Now, keep in mind that contextually, there were a lot of people in the church of Colossae who were actually servants. They were servants and they had actual masters. They were living in a home and, and servanthood was not always the way that we think. There were a lot of voluntary servants. They were men who put themselves in under the authority of a house or a master in order to provide, that master in return would provide housing. He would provide meals. It was voluntary. Nobody was telling that servant to be there. Now, I will go back and also tell you this. Husbands and wives are also, you are voluntarily in that relationship, right? You chose, and if, if you were married and married with a, a proper admonition, a pastor either through that sermon or through your counseling said, here's your responsibility as a wife, here's what's expected, here's your responsibility as a husband, here's what's expected, and so you voluntarily entered into that covenant, so you can't say, I didn't know what God expected. Now, children are born. Children are born, and they, they don't have that same level of here's what you have to do. They're taught. They didn't voluntarily join your family. God gave you that child. Remember that. God gave you your, ch your children, your child, specifically gave those kids to you. Masters and servants, there's a voluntary relationship here as well. But he has to remind them, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh and not with eye service as men pleasers, but singleness and heart fearing God. Now we can relate servants today to those who work for another, right? So if you are employed or in the service of someone else, Paul simply saying here, obey your master. Just as these servants were told to obey their masters, they were to give a full effort. Notice what he says, not with eye service. In other words, not just in appearance, but that your heart should truly be dedicated to the servanthood and the obedience of that master, right? So what does that mean? Does that mean we just do it just because we have to, or are we supposed to be concerned about even what they're doing? These servants were to, to be concerned about their master's business, to be concerned about what their master did, not to steal, not to waste, right? The servants here refer to anyone in which we are working for, right? He tells them, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Again, back in Ephesians, 
Paul also deals with the servants. Ephesians 6, verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters. According to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as unto Christ. Now notice in Ephesians, he adds that, he adds that uh, expression there, as unto Christ, or as you are subjected or submitted, obedient unto Christ, in the same manner be that way towards your masters. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is heaven, is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. Just like there's a responsibility on a husband and wife, there's a responsibility not just on the servant, but also on the master. The master should be dealing fairly with the servant, right? The master should understand, and again, go back to this context. These servants were most times voluntarily employed. They submitted themselves under the authority of that master with the expectation that that master would understand they also have families. They have people that need to be taken care of. This is kind of foreign to our culture today. I realize that. We don't live in this culture today. But understand that the masters had a responsibility. They were, had obligations to their servants as well. That's what Paul's talking about there. It's interesting. I wish I could remember the commentator that said it. But he said, could you imagine coming into the church, at one of the churches at Colossae, and you would see the masters and the servants in the same gathering together? So the very person that Paul, when they're reading these letters, masters understand your responsibility to the servants, servants understand your responsibility to the masters, and being there seated in the same congregation of people. So they understood what this meant. Treat them fairly. Treat them, don't lay unnecessary heavy burdens upon them. Treat them with respect. And he reminds them, even in the book of Ephesians, he reminds them that you are both in the Lord, right? You're both servants of Christ, whether you're a master or whether you're a servant. And we're told that this is the way we should live. In verses 23 through 24, and whatsoever you do, right? He's telling them, so again, when you do these things, don't just do it with eye service. Don't just do it when people are watching, We've all worked with people this way. Hopefully it's not you. When the employer's not watching, you do nothing. Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that the Lord of the Lord, you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done and there is no respect of persons. Again, what's the context here? All the way back to verse 18. Whatever you do in these areas, whether it's a husband, whether it's a wife, whether it's a child, whether it's parents, servants, or master, do what you do sincerely. Do it with all of your heart. That's what it means. Do it heartily. Do it with all of your heart as you're doing it unto the Lord and before the Lord. Right? If we will live our lives understanding that we are doing all these things to be fit and pleasing unto God, it'll change the way we look at these relationships. Right? If I realize as a husband I'm loving my wife unto the Lord, I'm not going to find it burdensome to love my wife. 
If I'm a wife, I'm not going to find it burdensome if I realize I'm doing this unto the Lord and I'm doing it for the Lord's glory. If I'm a parent, I realize I'm parenting. And again, I cannot stress this enough. Remember that your children are a gift of God. Even in the troubling times, they're a gift of God. But yet, even we're to parent them as unto the Lord. Children are to obey their parents unto the Lord. Don't be afraid to tell your children that disobedience to their parents is disobedience to God. Okay, they're not just disobeying you. They're disobeying God. And that's key to understanding this. It's key to understanding that it's not just parents, kids, do what I told you to do because I'm your father. Do this because you're disobeying God. All these things are being done unto the Lord primarily, not unto men. Right? Even if the whole world starts to say, you know, you churches are foolish in the fact that you still hold to this man is superior model. That's not what God is saying here at all. He's given us an order. And he says, whatever you do, do it heartily and not unto men. We're not doing anything for the approval of man. We're doing it for the approval of God. I'm not going to be the husband I want to be for man's approval. I'm doing it to be pleasing unto God. Wives are being submissive to their own husbands, not for man's approval, but unto God. Parents are parenting unto God. Children are obeying unto God. Masters are serving in subjection unto God. Masters are leading and guiding unto the Lord. Whatever you do, do it before the Lord. If we're one of His children, whatever we're in, whatever category we're in, we have a higher calling and a purpose than just trying to build relationships. Trying to build a kingdom, trying to build a ministry. No, that's all going to crumble. We are serving the Lord Jesus Christ and every one of these responsibilities is for the glory of God. You don't want, as a Christian, you don't want the world's approval on your marriage or your home. You say, well, the world doesn't approve of my my methods. You don't want them to. Well, they're they're making me doubt what I'm doing. Is what you're doing according to Scripture? If it is, then you don't have to doubt it. Stop listening to the world and follow what the Word of God says. If you do everything with this spirit, verses 23 through 25, you do everything heartily unto the Lord, right? You have a rest in your heart that even around you, even though they're forward, they're forward and perverse and corrupt and twisted, he's saying, do it heartily unto the Lord. There is a reward for your service. Remember that most of what Paul's writings are taken up by is the reality of wanting to display the glory of God and the glory of God's grace. Wanting to magnify the Lord Jesus Christ. There are duties and responsibilities in the Christian life. Right? I know we've, we've decided that anything we're told to do is legalism. That's not true at all. There are responsibilities you have as a Christian husband, a Christian wife, Christian children, even unbelieving children, even in your home who've not come to saving knowledge yet, they have an obligation to obey their parents. Servants and masters all have an obligation. 
This does not just affect our church life. This is the Christian life. This is the entirety of what we are. That's why this is a snapshot of what a Christian's life should look like. If we profess to be these things, if we profess to love these things, then we should consider these things uh, to be a joy to submit to them, not to find a reason to complain. And say, I don't like what this means for me as a wife. I don't like what this means for me as a husband. Every single time, again, I'm not talking about anybody here so everybody can take a deep breath. Every single time I've asked this question of a couple that's struggling, I go right to these passages. They want me to go to what the problem is at hand. Well, he said this and she said this. I said, "Mm -mm. that's not the problem. I take the Bible, I point to those two passages, turn around and look at them. I say, okay, wives, wife, does this describe you? Well, no, but, okay, well, that's the start. And I didn't, I'm not picking on the wife first for any reason. I just, this is just the words given. Do the same thing to the husband. Yes, but if you knew her, the problem is that's not what it says. You can pretend all you want to say, I'm not submitting because he's this, or I'm not loving her because she's this. You can take that up with God because you're not right. And you can, you can twist it. And honestly, those counseling sessions end pretty quick because both parties don't like it. Because the husband's confronted with the reality He can think of 150 things in his mind of how in the last week he did not demonstrate loving his wife like Christ loved the church. She can think of 150 reasons why what she should have done towards her own husband, and she didn't. It's never about the problem or the issue at hand. Never has been. It always goes back to the order in which God gave. When I deal with families... I've done that before. You say with a child or a young person, and you say, do you obey mom and dad? Well, no, but. So are they they leading you to do something sinful? No, but I, I just don't agree with them. And I say, okay, would you show me chapter and verse where it says you don't have to obey if you don't agree with them? I can't. That's your answer. People come to me with problems at work. Guess what I do? Same passage. Masters and servants. Yeah, but they're not doing they're not keeping up their side of the bargain. That's not what it says. We, whatever category we're in, we're to live that way. You say, well, that's just oversimplifying. You can take that position. It's not that's it's very clear what the Bible says about these things. Is it hard? Absolutely. Have I, being married 30 years, have I arrived at loving her, my wife, the way I should as Christ loved the church? Nope. I haven't. I want to. But I haven't gotten anywhere close to it. But I know that's my responsibility. And that's my, not my responsibility as an obligation. That should be the joy of my heart to want to love her that way. Right? I'm not going to speak for the wives today because I'm not one. But I will speak for the husbands and say, look, that's where I am. And I realize what a weight, yes, 
but also what a freedom and a liberty comes when if we know this is the word of God, God doesn't make a mistake, so he's not asking us something that's going to harm us. This is for our good. And like I said, I've counseled a number of people over the years. The problem's always the same, and it comes right back. It always comes right back here. And that's not the only two passages. Dwell with your wife according to knowledge. That's another one, husbands. You can, you can chew on that one for a while. There's a lot of responsibility in all these relationships. But again, this should be the joys of the Christian life, not the dread. And it should not be something that we, we dread being wives and husbands the way we should be. We should say, boy, what a beautiful picture of the Christian home this would be if this is the way we lived. So again, I hope this will encourage us and remind us that God is even so good to us to give us direction as to how we should live our lives.